Luke chapter two, let me read the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to his own town from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born in this day, the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Merry Christmas and happy birthday, Jesus. Can we give him some praise in the house tonight? Well, I wanna do something a little bit different as we uh, kick off our Christmas uh, message together, I wanna do a little Christmas trivia to see how well you really know the Christmas story. Any fans of trivia in the house tonight? Any fan? All right, three of you, great, this will be so fun. All right, I wanna, um, a little group activity, so I'm gonna ask these questions, and if you know the answer, just shout it out as loud as you can, okay? All right, so here's the first one. Um, what town was Jesus born in? Bethlehem, look at that. All right, perfect. It's the town of bread right outside of Jerusalem. You guys are doing great. All right, we'll, we'll get a little bit harder. Uh, what was Jesus placed in when he was born? Amazing. You guys are Bible scholars. All right, next up. Who were Jesus' parents? Okay, yes, but you get bonus points if you also say the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... Mary and Joseph, but the Holy Spirit. Anybody three for three? Anybody three for three? Holy Spirit stump you, Holy Spirit stump you. All right, here we go. What was unique about Mary when Jesus was born? She was a virgin. She was a virgin. And have fun explaining what that is to your kids on the way home. Who did the angels appear to when Jesus was born? The shepherds. The shepherds. That's exactly right. What else was in the sky the night Jesus was born? A star, a star. You guys, man, did y'all go to Bible college? Who did the star appear to when Jesus was born? Well, you guys are kind of confused. Wise men, magi, you're right. <laughs> All right, what about this? What gifts did the wise men bring after Jesus was born? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We trained them up well. All right, what did Mary wrap baby Jesus in when he was born? Swaddling clothes, perfect. Now, you guys did so well, but let me ask you this one and maybe just think about it for a second. Why was Jesus born? You know, the what, the where, 
the when, the who of Christmas are all extremely important, but more important than all of that is why. Why was Jesus born? What makes the birth of this baby so radically different from the 380,000 other babies that are born every single day? What makes Jesus different from any of these babies? What makes him different from this guy or that guy or this guy? What makes him different from him? What makes Jesus different from every other baby that's been born? You know, I'll give you a hint. The uh, angels tell Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Other angels tell shepherds in Luke chapter two, verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Paul told the church at Galatia, Galatians chapter four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, told them. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And if you still don't know, don't worry. Jesus made it explicitly clear for his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I can guarantee you that the rest of the night will be a Christmas service like you've never experienced before. Because this is the side of the Christmas story that is not often told. Those little baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day limp up a dusty hill. And those tiny hands, soft and frail, formed by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, would one day have nine-inch nails driven right through them. And that precious infant head, full of dark, black, Middle Eastern hair, would one day have a crown of thorns thrust upon it. And that tender body, warm and wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day have a spear driven right through it. Jesus was born to die. 
what makes the birth of this baby so radically different from the birth of every other baby is that this baby was born to die. Every other baby is born to live. Every other baby is born to dream. Every other baby is born to grow. This baby was born to die. Christmas has become steeped in tradition and commercialization. It is cluttered with busyness and with chaos. It is stuffed full of kids and gifts and presents. And listen to me tonight, I'm not even saying that that's all bad, but you know that tomorrow will be chaos, don't you? You will quickly open presents. There will be wrapping paper everywhere. You will have a big breakfast spread and you will listen to Christmas music and watch Christmas movies and you will scurry from family function to family function and you will be in search of batteries and trash bags and you will try to take a million different pictures to capture every moment. Your little kids will be in their perfect matching Pinterest pajamas and you'll take all of these pictures, maybe some that you'll look back on most that you'll never look at again and there'll be moments of happiness and moments of joy and moments where you wonder if it's all even worth it and then it'll be December 26th and I just wonder will we at all stop and think about why why do we do this why all of the lights why all of the decorations? Why the tree? Why do we spend all the money? Why the cookies? Why the carols? Why? Why do we celebrate Christmas? You know that if Jesus grew up to be an old man who died warm in his bed next to friends and family that we aren't celebrating him today, you know that if Jesus dies old, then he gets lost in historical obscurity and he's just some strange Jewish rabbi. If Jesus dies old, we aren't celebrating him today. If Jesus just came as a wonderful counselor who offers you some really great moral life advice, we aren't celebrating him today. If Jesus just came as the Prince of Peace who helped you cope with some of your anxiety, we aren't celebrating him today. If Jesus just came as a political ruler who overthrew the Roman Empire, we aren't celebrating him today. You see, it is the death of Jesus that gives meaning to the life of Jesus. It is the very fact that he died that makes him unique from everybody else. It's the death of Jesus that gives meaning to the birth of Jesus and that vindicates the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't just come to die. Make no mistakes tonight. Jesus came for much more than just to die. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom and he came to usher in the new covenant. He came to fulfill prophecy and to perform miracles. He came to be a rabbi who would make disciples. And he came to teach the Jewish Torah like it had never been taught before. He came to remove religious misconception and to show who God is really like. He came to offer love and a life and grace to those who thought that they were unworthy of it. He came to uh, take Judaism, a one nation faith, and turn it into Christianity 
Christianity a worldwide global phenomenon. And Jesus came to start the church, his bride, his body, the vehicle of hope for a broken world, the one that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against. Jesus came to give us access to God to be our great high priest. And he came to fight death hell and the devil and he came to live a perfect life but none of that matters without his vicarious death if jesus doesn't die we don't get access to god let me tell you what happens tonight if jesus doesn't die if jesus doesn't die then the world is still at odds with god if jesus doesn't die then there is no good news of great joy there is only bad news of sin and judgment if Jesus doesn't die, this isn't a tale of peace and hope tonight. This is a tale of punishment and hell. If the innocent babe doesn't become the lamb that was slain, then there are no Christmas songs to sing, no Christmas songs of joy, only songs of lament. If Jesus doesn't die, then there are no gifts to receive, only sacrifices to make if Jesus doesn't die. Is anybody glad tonight that a baby was born? to die the stark reality for all of us on this christmas evening is that on that first christmas eve the mobile that was hanging above jesus wooden manger was a wooden cross jesus was headed to the cross on christmas Maybe not literally, maybe not physically, but symbolically, sovereignly, providentially, this plan was in motion that this baby would be born to die. Did you know on that first Christmas Eve that there was a farewell happening in heaven? There was a goodbye party of sorts that was being thrown. It's recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 10. This is what Jesus says to his father that first Christmas Eve. Hebrews chapter 10, verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. On that first Christmas Eve, Jesus looks at his father and he goes, the blood of bulls and lambs are never gonna do it. Levitical sacrifices are never gonna measure up. They're never going to right what went wrong in Eden. And so I'll go and I'll take care of it for them. And so Jesus on that first Christmas Eve packs his bags full of grace and truth, says goodbye to his father in heaven. And he comes on a rescue mission to planet earth. And when he comes, he comes as a dead man walking. There was no other option for Jesus. You ever think about that? There was no alternate route. There was no detour. There was no plan B. From the cradle, Jesus was headed to the cross. You see, Easter doesn't get started on on a Palm Sunday or on Maundy Thursday or on Good Friday. Easter gets started on Christmas. From the cradle, Jesus was headed to the cross. He came intentionally on a rescue mission for you as a sacrificial lamb. Have you ever considered the parallels between the Christmas story and the Easter story? 
Have you ever thought about the breadcrumbs and the little clues and the little indicators that God is leaving all along the way to point you to what this holiday is really supposed to be all about? Let me show you tonight. Let me draw your attention to Bethlehem. Let me show you how the where Jesus was born points to the why Jesus was born. Do you know the first time that Bethlehem appears in the Bible? Bethlehem, this town that we sing about, this town that is associated with birth, where Jesus was born. Do you know the first time that Bethlehem appears in the Bible? Let me show you. It's going to blow your mind. Genesis chapter 35. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. Are you picking up on where this story is headed? First mention of Bethlehem. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Onoi, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. Now, when I read that, I was mind blown. I'm sitting in my study preparing for this sermon, trying to put together the pieces of this puzzle of the way that the where and the when and the who and the how of Christmas communicate the why. And I start to think about Bethlehem and I start to study the story of Bethlehem and where do we first see Bethlehem throughout the pages of the scriptures. And I see this story. This unbelievable story that has all of these parallels, all of these connections, all of these interconnected parts between the first mention of Bethlehem and the later mention of Bethlehem. Did you pick up on it? How interesting that in the first time we see Bethlehem, a, a woman is going into labor. And during that labor, the midwife says to the woman, do not fear for you're having a son. Does that ring any bells for anybody? Oh, sort of like in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, where the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. First mention of Bethlehem, all about a baby being born. And in the first mention, there's debate about his name. In the second mention, there is no debate. His name is Jesus because he's a man on a mission. But let me draw your attention even deeper. The first mention of Bethlehem, a town that we typically associate with birth, is first seen in the Bible in a story about death. Rachel, like so many other women at this time, died while giving childbirth. So the first time we see Bethlehem in the Old Testament, someone is giving birth and dying. And the first time we see Bethlehem in the New Testament, what's happening? Someone is being born to die. Did you notice that Rachel's death, that immediately following it, Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb? Did you catch that little detail? Oh, you mean sort of like Matthew chapter 27, verse 60, when they rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and they went away. Does anyone find it interesting that at the birth of Jesus, there was no room for them at the end? You know the story. They go and there's no room for them at the end at the birth of Jesus. Well, at the death of Jesus, there is no place to lay his body, so they put it in a borrowed tomb. 
Or have you ever found it interesting that at the birth of Jesus, his stepdad is named Joseph. And Joseph is there when Jesus is laid in a manger. Well, flash forward 33 years when Jesus dies and a man named Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus' body off the cross and lays it in a tomb. Do you see these connections? The way that the birth of Jesus is this forerunner. It's these breadcrumbs that's showing us why he came. But it's not just, it's not just Joseph and it's not just the fact that there was no room. It's what Bethlehem is all about in the first place. Did you know that certain towns are known for certain things? We know this, right? Like Hollywood, what's Hollywood known for? The movies. What's Nashville known for? Music. What's Atlanta known for? Losing, okay, losing. Atlanta is known for losing. Well, Bethlehem was known for being the town that lambs would be harvested in. And so there would be these Passovers that would happen in Jerusalem, these great Passover festivals. And one to two million Jews would flood the city of Jerusalem at Passover and they would celebrate the time that they were in Egyptian captivity and God sent plagues and um, he told them to spread the blood of lambs above the doorpost and so that their firstborn sons would be spared. And so every year they would celebrate this Passover festival remembering God's salvation and his redemption. And so where would they get these lambs for Passover? Oh, just 1,500 steps away, five to six miles outside of the city in a little town called Bethlehem. These lambs were being raised for the slaughter. That's what Bethlehem was known for. And have you considered who this news got communicated to? Oh, shepherds who are out in their fields keeping watch over their flock by night. These shepherds get the first news. Isn't it interesting that God first revealed the birth to shepherds, shepherds who protected innocent lambs that would soon die on behalf of sinful men. I wonder when the shepherds saw baby Jesus, did they know? Could they have whispered to each other what John the Baptist would later tell us in John 1:29? behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or if the shepherds aren't enough for pointing to the why, how about kings? Consider the fact that there are two King Herods. There's one present at his birth and there's another present at his death. Or that Jesus is called the king of the Jews by the Magi at his birth and he is mocked and killed for claiming to be the king of the Jews at his death. Or have you considered the angels? The fact that they appear to Mary and Joseph and shepherds at Jesus' birth and angels appear to disciples, women, and guards at Jesus' death. Do you see these connections from the very beginning God is trying to capture our attention he's trying to grab our affection and say don't miss why I don't want for you to lose the connection of this little baby who's coming wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger I don't want for you to think that he is just a cute infant who you can cuddle and who you can coddle and who you can pat on his head and go on your merry way I want for you to know that this is a baby who was born to die from the very beginning God is trying to make sure that we don't miss it have you considered the swaddling clothes 
in the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter two, verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Well, let me show you what happens at his death. Luke chapter 23, verse 52. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb. How amazing, swaddling clothes in his birth, swaddling clothes in his death. Have you considered the gift given by the wise men? Luke, Matthew chapter two, verse 11, at his birth and going into the house, they saw the child and Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now let me show you his death. Matthew, or I'm sorry, John 19.39, let me introduce you to the fourth wise man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. The wise men celebrated Jesus' death at his birth, and we should too. Myrrh, something that you would use to prepare a body for burial given as a gift to a child. Why? Because Jesus was born to die. I don't know what kind of Christmas story you've heard before. I don't know what you've thought all of the pieces of this puzzle were going to be put together to show you. I don't know if you think that the story of Christmas was just so that you could have some peace when you felt down or some joy when you were low. But I want for you to know that the, the story of Christmas, the true story of Christmas is so much bigger and so much better and so much more beautiful than that. The story of Christmas is amazing. We see that the true story of Christmas, that the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is just the preface, that the three-year ministry of Jesus in Palestine is the prologue, that the substance of the story is his sacrificial death for all of mankind. And the epilogue is the glorious resurrection where Jesus defeats death and offers life for all who believe, amen? This is the story of Christmas. From beginning to end, a baby born to die. I need you to know tonight that there would be no Christmas without Easter. There is no resurrection without a crucifixion. There is no empty tomb without a bloody cross. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to trade places with Barabbas. Jesus was born to be betrayed by Judas. Jesus was born to drink the cup of God's wrath for you and me. I want for you to know tonight that God's great gift for you at Christmas is not peace and it is not serenity and it is not a silent night or a calm soul. God's gift to you at Christmas is not a happy family or more stuff from Amazon or the American dream. God's gift for you at Christmas is his son who was born to die so that you could live. That is God's gift to you at Christmas. You see, your deepest problem and my deepest problem is not a financial one and it's not a relational one and it's not a mental one. It's not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. We 
are born spiritually dead, cut off from all that gives life. It's the reason that it doesn't matter how many gifts are under the tree tomorrow, that it'll never be enough. It's the reason that it doesn't matter how perfect the celebrations are, it'll never be enough. It's the reason that it doesn't matter how many advancements you take in your career, it'll never be enough. It's the reason that it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account, it'll never be enough because there is this spiritual longing in the hearts of humanity for what only God can provide. And the only way to right what went wrong in Eden is blood, innocent, perfect, spotless, blameless, holy blood. You see, Jesus dies the death he dies because you and I can't live the life that he lived. He lived a perfect life, a holy life, a spotless life, an innocent life, a life that fulfilled prophecy, a life that brought in the kingdom of God, a life that was right and pleasing and honorable in the sight of Yahweh, holy God. And he did it because we never could. And so then he comes and he offers his life for you and me. This is the story that all of humanity is revolving around and they don't even know it. We're just going to work and going to our jobs and we're going to the gym and we're pouring our coffee and we're making our breakfast and we're putting on our clothes and we're watching Netflix and we're surfing the web and we're scrolling through social media all the while we are on a highway towards death, death and separation from a holy God. But he made a way for us when there was no way. He sent his son born of a virgin to be spotless innocent, holy, and blameless to make up for the massive sin problem that each and every one of us have. A baby was born to die. Which brings me to my closing question tonight. What did Mary really know? What did Mary really know? We get a little snapshot of it in Luke chapter two. We see there's this man named Simeon and he blesses Jesus and he says some remarkable words about Jesus, but then he also blesses Mary. And this is what he says. He says, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. What did Mary know? Mary knew that her baby was born to die. Mary knew that a day was going to come where this gift for all of humanity was going to be a sword that pierces through her heart, that crushes her soul because her little baby was destined to die. Jean Debert knew as soon as she saw the ultrasound. It didn't matter what the doctor told her. She was his mother and she felt certain that something was wrong. As Jean's pregnancy progressed through the winter of 2005, other tests raised more red flags. Until finally the phone rang one afternoon as she stood in the yard of her Seattle home. On the other end of the phone was a geneticist confirming the results. Her baby boy had trisomy 18. 
The chromosomal abnormality, which causes heart, kidney, and severe mental disabilities, is usually fatal. It occurs in roughly one in 6,000 live births, but many babies who have it die before they are born. And those who live often only survive a few days. It's the worst kind of news that anyone could get, Gene says. But your baby is going to die. The paradox of modern medicine is that knowing doesn't mean the outcome will be better. Sometimes you can just see death coming from a long way off. As Jean and her husband, Steve, both Catholics, talked with doctors, they were always clear that they were going to continue the pregnancy. They became deliberate in planning to parent their son, who they named Robbie the best that they could for as long as they could. Jean and Steve created a specialized birth plan. It had Robbie's name at the top and the funeral home's name at the bottom. In the middle, they detailed three scenarios, what to do if Robbie was born breathing, what to do if he was not breathing, and what to do if his heart wasn't working. No extreme measures, they decided. And in each scenario, they wanted their son in their arms as soon as possible. Robbie's life will be lived with love and honor, the birth plan stated. When a child dies from trisomy 18, the hospital staff can help parents make memories. These tangible moments by cutting a lock of the baby's hair or making hand impressions of the baby's fingers so that mom and dad can run their fingers over the baby's fingers in years to come. On May 18, 2005, Robbie Debert was born at Seattle's Northwest Hospital, but he was just barely breathing when he was born. Doctors worked on him for minutes that seemed to stretch into forever before finally deciding to give him to his parents to hold as he died. Jean, exhausted from long labor, drank in the feel of her son in her arms. She memorized every detail of his face. She took in his tiny hands and his wide-set eyes and his perfectly shaped ears that she knew probably couldn't hear a word that she was saying. Then Steve cradled him, started walking around and introducing his newborn son to the crowd of friends and family who had gathered in the hospital room. Steve says, it was clear that I was walking around for him to say hello and goodbye at the same time. In the days that followed, Robbie proved to be a fighter. He was able to go home from the hospital and Steve and Jean took Robbie to the beach and to church and to visit friends. And when he turned one week old, they celebrated with a brownie and a candle, knowing he wouldn't be alive to see his first birthday. We had this sense that we needed to live life fast and present, says Jean. I wanted people to experience him and I think he was experiencing being held too. Gene and Steve traded off caring for Robbie for three-hour shifts around the clock. Nurses would tell us at appointments, oh, he looks beautiful. You're doing great. He seems so happy. It was so reassuring that we were doing the right thing. It helped us to relax because every day we were wondering, is this the day? Is this the moment? At night, Gene slept with Robbie 
cuddled against her chest. She'd heard about parents of terminally ill children who woke up in the morning to find that their child had passed in their bassinet and she wanted to make sure that didn't happen so she needed to know that the moment that her child passed that she would be with him to see it through and to hold on tight and to let go at 8 15 a.m on june 16th 2005 jean was in the kitchen with her mother making breakfast and nestled into her carrier against her chest, Robbie's breathing began to change. He took a breath, then a long breath. Then he took another breath, and then a pause, followed by stillness, then one final breath. Jean ran into the bedroom to wake Steve as she started describing his breathing pattern. They realized Robbie wasn't breathing. So Jeannie, Jean laid him down on the bed beside Steve and she started crying. She pleaded, no, no, not yet. She rubbed Robbie's cheeks, hoping to prompt him to inhale. He never took another breath. He lived 29 days. The whole experience was very serene, she says. I don't think we put Robbie down. Not once, not a day, not the entire time. You know, I wonder what might happen at Christmas this year. If we remember that Jesus too was a baby destined to die. That from his very first breath, the clock was ticking on his life. That every day Mary was wondering, is this the day? Is it happening right now? If we would live with the presence of mind to know that this baby was born to die, might we never put Jesus down too? Might we never just cherish Jesus at Christmas or cherish Jesus at Easter, but hold him close to our chest, keep him close to our heart every single day? Might we look into his eyes and enjoy his beauty and treasure his greatness and soak in the wonder of who he is knowing that this baby was born to die so that you and I could be born to live. You know, you probably came into this Christmas service tonight thinking that you would sing some carols and maybe light some candles and hear a message and go on with your merry way. But not tonight, because there are two unavoidable facts standing right in front of every single one of us the first one is this, someday you are going to die. It's gonna happen when you do. The second is this, a baby was born to die so that you could live forever, so that you could experience eternal life, so that you could be reborn and escape eternal death. And I want for you to know tonight that that baby who was born to die grew up to be a king who conquered death. My message for you tonight isn't don't, my message for you tonight isn't put Christ back in Christmas, it's don't leave Jesus in the manger. You see, babies in mangers have little to no consequence on our life. We can look at the baby in a manger and say, oh, how precious, just go on with our lives. But innocent kings, murdered on crosses, 
change everything. Jesus was born to die to defeat death. Jesus was born to die to put death in its grave. Jesus was born to die so that you and I could experience eternal life. And I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus is no longer in a manger crying and he's no longer on a cross suffering. He is on a, on a, on a throne reigning as King of Kings and as Lord of Lords. And the reason that we celebrate Christmas is because the baby who was born to die grew up to be the king who conquered death so that all who believe can experience life eternal. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray, I pray that this stark reality would confront us in a way tonight that stops us in our tracks. That makes it impossible for us to go our merry way, to just fall into the habit of empty Christmas traditions. Jesus, that we would stop and we would ask why. We would ponder the why. We would think of the why and we would know it's, it's that Jesus was born to die so that we could be born to live. It makes this day so much more emotional and so much more complex, but so much more beautiful and so much more meaningful. Jesus, I pray that you would pull us into the deep end of your heart tonight and that you would remind us this baby that was born to die grew up to be the king of the world. All of this may be brand new to you tonight, and if you feel like you are separated from a relationship with God and you don't know this life, this eternal life that we've been talking about tonight, and you feel like you've got that empty, missing space in your soul, and, and you're wondering tonight if it's Jesus, if it's Jesus sacrificed for you so you could experience life, I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to it tonight. I just wanna invite you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my sin, I give you my past, and I give you my shame. I believe that you died so I can live. I believe on the cross you paid for my sin, and I believe you gloriously rose from the grave. If you prayed that prayer, and the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, making you a new creation. You are born again to experience eternal life, and it is the greatest gift that you will ever receive. And I just want to mark that Christmas moment with you and celebrate. And so if you prayed that prayer, just in boldness and confidence on the count of three, I want to invite you to lift your hand, saying, I've received Jesus as King tonight. If you prayed that prayer on the count of three, one, two, three. Praise God. Praise God, praise God. Can we celebrate people giving their life to Jesus this Christmas season?